Gene, dude, thank you so much for coming and doing this. Thanks for having me, bro. Oh, no problem at all. No problem at all. So I always ask every guest, and I think you kind of gave me the answer when the camera was off. So I hope it's the, I hope it's the same one. What is like your first experience with like the horror genre? Like what what is it that kind of made you a fan? Was it a was it a movie, a book? Was it like an experience that happened? Like what got you what got you hooked, man? Well, there was there were two things really. The first was uh, my father used to sort of dabble in. Uh, white elephant tables. He would work at like little flea markets and stuff. And he had a whole bunch of used books. And uh, I got my hands before he sold it on a copy of, well, in fact, I have it. It's, uh, he got his hands on this copy <laughs> of the novelization of Halloween. This is the actual book uh, that got me into the horror genre. Now, somehow it had traveled to you. And this is the first time I've seen it probably since I was about I don't know, 12, 13, maybe. You and I went to a school called St. Anthony of Padua. Um, you were like, were you two grades ahead or one? Yeah, I'm two years older. Two years You're old. my brother's age. So me and your brother were uh, very good friends. And uh, yeah, you let me that book. And somehow I never gave it back. <laughs> Maybe that was a long time ago. Maybe I never had any intention of really giving it back. I don't know. I probably was just like, I, I was always of the belief that like, if you lend a book, don't expect it. I'm not a library. I'm just a guy. Like you don't necessarily expect to get it back. Fast forward. Um, that was probably, uh, what, 93? Probably, yeah. Here we are 30 years later. Right. And it's finally, finally found its, it's way finally back, back in your hands. Yeah. A little tape. Little, I think, I think aware, it just gives but, it a little personality. So that book, so one thing sort of great. got both of us into yeah. the horror genre. Yeah, like I was, so I mean, I was in the horror, but like that book, I, I just remember being in like the seventh grade or yeah, I'm pretty sure it was the seventh grade, Miss Garrett's like reading class, sustained silent reading class. And it's like, I just always had that book. I must have read that book. It's a quick read. Oh yeah, I read it in one day. Yeah, uh, I mean, friends I know, I've read that book. My wife now has read that book. Like that book really made the rounds. Like no one, and that's really, like you said, it's really hard to find. Right. Especially yeah, that, that particular copy. cover. Yeah. So, and I mean, I've got Michael Myers on my arm now. Yeah. So uh, I've sort of kept with my, you know, Halloween <laughs> was sort of my, my, I guess like my gateway in. And I read this book long before I'd ever seen the original film. So that's crazy. A lot of that's people crazy. are like, oh, you know, I, I feel like the book is better than, than the movie, even though this is a novelization. Obviously, it was written at the same time mm -hmm. that the... the, the uh, but I sort of had a different idea of what Michael Myers looked like in my head when I yes. first read the book. Um, the so. book kind of... So when I read the when I read that novelization, which if, if you can find not that copy, but if you can find a copy of it and you're a Halloween fan, All definitely the read it. All novelizations from like the 70s or early are good. 80s, really they're really, really good. good and yeah i have so when i when i read the novel that novel the way they describe michael myers i almost envision more of like remember remember back in the 80s you'd see like those clear plastic masks mm -hmm. but they had like clown makeup but they still they were clear so they still kind of took on like your flesh tone right that's kind of what it, they describe like he's wearing. Yes. 
which makes more sense because when he was a kid, he dressed like a clown, and that's like kind of like that's like a clown mask almost. Right. So, and it makes it more, it makes it definitely creepier. I mean, obviously, I always thought of it sort of in the same. If you remember in in Dark Knight, no, in uh, what was the second of the Nolan trilogy? I'm drawing a blank. Uh, oh, the Dark Knight. The Dark Knight, with the sort of the clown. Make, uh, yeah, the real roughed on. Move. Oh, you're yeah. talking about the actual clown mask? When they robbed the bank, the bank in yes. the very beginning. I always thought it was something more like that, but just with hair. Okay. That was sort of what I imagined. So then when I watched John Carpenter's, and I think probably not long after that, one Saturday afternoon, I, well, it's raining or something, and you know you hear the, the, the piano come up, um, and it's you know John Carpenter's theme, and then that's the first. The first time I watched Halloween was a television version of it. Mm-hmm. So it was heavily edited with commercials yeah. uh, on a Saturday afternoon, and it still blew my mind. Yeah. Um, but then, you know, over the years, obviously, I sort of like, and I have to say, I have grown sort of a whole new appreciation recently for Halloween 3. I don't know how you feel about Halloween 3. A lot of people have very strong opinions about Halloween 3. So me, my brothers, my friends, for the longest time, same thing. We saw we saw Halloween three when we were young, and you know by that time, by that time the the icon of Michael Myers had already kind of took its foothold in our mind. So when you get Halloween three, it's like, nah, bullshit, fuck this movie. But later on, like, and I, when I mean later on, I mean like in my thirties, I watched Halloween three, and I'm like, man, this is a great movie. If they just called it Season of the Witch, right. it just would have it would have took off. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so. But when you sort of promise the idea of Michael Myers. But I mean, I guess the whole plan was that, and I don't know if this was John Carpenter's plan or if this was like the producer's plan, was they wanted to make like Halloween be like an every year. Yeah, which actually like an anthology else. kind of thing, which is actually very, that's actually super cool. You know, cool they idea. sort of thought that they had told the story of Michael, little did they know. They thought they had told the story of Michael Myers in two movies. Yeah. Um, you know, and then four, five, and six come out and you've got your whole The Thorn trilogy and then, you know, the whole thing sort of spins out of there i'm waiting for all these like because all these movies are doing like multiverse stuff now I'm waiting for the multiverse of michael myers to come out because there's like yeah. there's there's the thorn trilogy that branches off there's the h2o thing that branches off then there's like the newer movie the newer trilogy they just had that branches off and then you just got like rob zombies kind of thing out here yeah. that don't well they, i mean the newer them. ones are you know that first one is supposed to be a direct sequel to one. the very first one yeah. yeah it's crazy how they sort of scatter that old thing but yeah how great would that be if you got to see like four michael myers <laughs> fighting each other i know i, I would... think the thorn trilogy michael myers would would batter yes. them all so halloween halloween six is probably i think the scariest michael myers i think he's just the right size i think he's just the right amount of like scary intimidating i think he's got like the mask i think is just about right and I think that's the only real movie where you don't see the eyes mm-hmm. of Michael Myers, which to me is what you need. Because once you see the eyes, you sort of know he's a man in there. You, so it, you humanize him. And at that point in time, he shouldn't be humanized. He's a total killing machine. I think there's one spot where you see his, see his eyes in that movie, but it's more just because they couldn't, I don't think they meant to. It's when, right. it's when he's like ramming uh, the guard's head in the gate going at, you know what I mean, like towards the climax of the film. And I think they just didn't need to. But yeah, you should never, that should be a rule. You should never 
That's that's one thing I didn't get into the new. Uh, well, when you Halloween's and I write the new Halloween script that we're going to write, that we're going to get shot, we can make sure we apply all of the rules that need to be. So you know, it could be a direct sequel to set to six. It could be Halloween seven. So and this is taped, so we can go back to this if someone decides to make this steal this idea. But I entertained an idea. There was a way you could do. There was a way you could tie. Halloween 3, if you redid Halloween 3 the way it was, there's a way you can tie Halloween 3 to Michael Myers and make him a supernatural entity, and it's with the masks. I had a great right. idea for it. I'll gladly sit down, write it with you, and if it hits yeah, let's huge... let's not give all of them yeah. all of the best stuff. If it hits huge, I just, just want a small percentage. 50-50. Hey we'll go 50-50 on I the I don't even need credit. that. I just need, you know, like, give me enough to pay off my house for fun. <laughs> So yeah, so Halloween was sort of my gateway into horror. And then the other thing, I, the first horror film that I ever saw, I was probably about nine. I was at a, at a Halloween party in my neighborhood. And the first horror movie I watched. Now, backing up a little bit, the first thing that scared me on film was, and I didn't see the whole movie, but I remember waking up. Um, I, was, I had a babysitter over. One of my, one of my, my parents had gone out for dinner. I was in bed. I was probably four or five. Some of my earliest memories, and she was watching Carrie on television. And I happened to wake up just in time to be in the scene where the hand comes up out of the oh out man, the, you know. And I remember having nightmares from that scene for you, like yeah. a decade. You got I, the... and I had no context. You, you know, I had not seen the whole movie. Just that, just that shot is so terrifying. Yeah. Well, you got uh, so yeah. Your big, your big moment was probably one of the first and probably one of the most popular, like jump scare mm -hmm. at the end of the movie when you think it's over scenes of all time. <laughs> I, I so Carrie was probably that was the first thing I know that terrified me. Um, just that shot that was, and then the first full horror because that was like I don't ever want to see a horror movie ever after seeing that. But then I remember being at a Halloween party and I saw the movie Nightbreed. Oh, um, okay. And Nightbreed, I don't know if, 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 if you haven't seen Nightbreed, you're missing out because it's, you know, sort of a seminal 80s, early 90s Yeah, and movie. I think, and I think, I want to say just recently they put out like, they either have or they are putting out like a brand new like 4K restoration of it, so. And it's one of those Check ones that I think that there's multiple cuts of it. Yeah. So now you can see a longer version of, um, of it if you're a big fan. And there was something about it because it sort of has that whole mythos within its own movie that they don't, you know, it's not like watch, you know, if you watch a comic book movie now, there's all of these comic books that you can go back to after the movie's over and read all about what led up to it. Now at mm -hmm. the time, Nightbreed, I think, I think that's a Clive Barker. So I think Barker yeah. had all of this mythos sort of in his mind, mm. but there was no place to go and get it. You sort of were locked into the reality that was in, in the film. Um, and I just sort of like loved all these weird mutant characters that lived under a cemetery. Um, <laughs> so that was the other, the other movie that sort of brought me, that was the first like film that, that brought me into the horror genre. So the, those were probably the, the three things that formed my fandom. I like I like Nightbreed. You know, it's it's cool to actually meet. I don't meet too many people that are like, oh yeah, Nightbreed, because it's like an acquired taste that movie. But it's a really yeah. great movie. 
Yeah, I mean, it's one of the one of the Mount Rushmore. You know, Clyde Barker's a Mount Rushmore guy. Oh, yeah, big time. So, you know, but it's certainly not the one that is his most well Yeah, known. you know, obviously, like Hellraiser and, you know, even Candyman. Even though Candyman, if you read the short story, is nothing like the movie. Right. <laughs> like, it's completely different. The scene that scared me, I believe... I was coming downstairs one night and my mom and her sister, because her sister was like 10 years younger than she was, but they still kind of hung out. So we were all in bed and I came down to get a drink or something like that. I'm a, I think I was like six years old, maybe five. And I walked down right at the scene in, they were watching Friday the 13th part four. Mm. And I'm pretty sure it's, it's, it's where he, uh, I don't know if it's the mom. No, you don't see the mom's death on screen. I think it was one of the twins where he just, he's just, Chucks her out the window. So I come down. I see this scary guy lightning and a, just throwing this woman onto a car. <laughs> That'll like do this, it. That's like the scene that like, like just scared it, you know, with like, what are you guys watching? <laughs> right. But the the movie that I, the actual first horror movie I watched that my parents let me watch, and I think they kind of let me watch and teach me a lesson. Was was uh was Poltergeist two? <laughs> oh, that's the one in the high rise, right? No, that's the that three. That's three. Poltergeist two is the one where he drinks the worm. Oh yeah yeah yeah. yeah. And I still won't. I still won't drink mezcal or no. worm like that. That will do that in. That sort of ruined that whole. No, yeah, that type guy. of liquor for me. So even like that movie, he's like, oh whatever, Poltergeist two. I'm like, yeah, it scares me. I was like traumatized. <laughs> I was yeah. seeing that. I was seeing that worm monster in my fucking dreams at seven. <laughs> yeah, it's crazy what sort of like leaves an imprint on you. But yeah, so I mean, then eventually, and and when I when people ask me like, why do I get horror tattoos? Because you know, I've got I've got you know sort of a theme going. I said because you know when I was a kid, like that's what really scared me, and this is sort of part of my way of showing. You know, if you ever think of like. A World War II aircraft, they get the mark when they when they defeat another monster or defeat another fighter, they put mm-hmm. a little marker on the on the plane. So as you know, as I've defeated different monsters, I sort of put them on my body to show that I've I've thwarted them. Well that's that's actually pretty uh that's actually pretty interesting and pretty cool. You know, I mean it's a cool take on the tattoos and like, you know, your take on horror and these you know that's i see freddie and michael myers like obviously mm-hmm. the big guys the big icons yeah yeah the, the idea was to sort of have my own little mount rushmore on my arm like me i have all the universal guys and part of the reason why i have all the universal guys is because that's i don't know it's like uh look when i was a kid kids were into i mean i was still into superheroes and you know gi joe and all that stuff but there weren't like there weren't like four-year-olds like running around like yeah Frankenstein and stuff like that. At least not any that I knew. <laughs> so I was like, you know, I was kind of like an outsider. And I don't know, it just make the plus it just makes me feel like my childhood, you know what I mean? It's like good time in my life and you know, horror is kind of I owe a lot to the horror genre because the horror genre is like I the friends I have and the people I meet and the, you know, the interest I'm in that make me unique and my wife's real big in the horror. That's kind of like the what got us like together so like i owe i owe a lot to like my life to like the horror genre it's kind of why i like doing the show too I like uh i like bringing people on and kind of sounds corny but i like i don't know kind of giving back to it in the way i can i feel like people outside of the fandom don't understand how much 
being a horror fan is really like a bonding sort yeah. of thing. You know, I was the same way. Like a lot of my best friends, a lot of the best relationships I've had in my life are all sort of come out of, because like there are very few things that you can get so minute and so detailed mm -hmm. about. You can, and everybody, there's so much to sort of love about horror. Um, it, everybody is scared by different things. Mm -hmm. um, so it's, it's just always fascinating to, to talk to people about what is it that got you? What is it that scares you? What's the things that are in your nightmares? And then you sort of feel like you've sort of created your own little team against the dark, you know? That's fucking cool. Uh, it's a fucking cool way of looking at it. And you're right. You're absolutely right. I'm not a big Saw fan, but I'll sit there and talk to a Saw fan and it would right. be an awesome conversation. <laughs> it would just be fucking right. cool. And that's the thing is like everybody can sort of, there's so much stuff that you can sort of, embrace and be really into you know like not everybody's into slasher movies the way that i am some people prefer like ghost stories or classics like like that or, or really into stephen king you know or psychological stuff but like in the end like the basic thing is it's sort of a way and i think that's probably like why the horror genre came to exist like as soon as you could put stories on film like there were horror movies it's it, it goes all the way back to the very beginning. And that's because there's something fascinating about watching the things that scare us mm. and, and feeling scared. There's something that's like primal about being able to safely enjoy fear. Yeah. You know, there's so, you know, usually when you're afraid, it's not in a situation where it's safe to be afraid. Mm. So now that there, you know, I think that that's where the horror genre sort of comes up from and, and on horror stories and everything it's it's a way that we can feel that rush without being in actual jeopardy <laughs> yeah no i think you're absolutely right so what do you think is like sort of been sort of the the best trends now like with new horror have you have i mean because i feel like horror is very very different now you know i feel like we're sort of in like a a, a whole nother you know, there was the in the there was the classic Universal era. Then there was the sci-fi era. Then there was sort of the seventies, um, like the Hammer film sort of era. Yeah, like that gothic 80s era. Slasher. And now we're in sort of something something sort of different. I feel like it's it's much more psychological, maybe. Yeah, a, a friend of mine, a friend of mine put it really good. He had a really good term for it. Uh, his name's Fat Matt. He kind of. Uh, like heightened horror is kind of what he called it. Uh, and I don't know. I think, I think it's cool. The heightened horror kind of stuff we're seeing right now. like the psychological stuff we're seeing, but I think, I don't know. It's one of those, it's one of those things to me personally, where you really got to pull it off because it's either going to have a huge high payoff or it's just going to, go down in flames like miser like miserably like you better it's one of those things where like you get one shot don't miss right you know what i mean and i think ari oster's good at that but if there was a couple of films i watched where no <laughs> no i think and you know, there's some films too where i get like right now right now it's like a country not to get like too political you're kind of divided and filmmakers and artists are always just trying to like the, you know horror is another genre where like you can really kind of put a stamp on what's current and what's going on with the feel of people right you know what i mean like a like a looking glass per se and what's going on culturally 
And I think, I almost think too many people are trying to do that, which is good, but they're doing it at the cost of an actual good story and characters. Exactly. You know what I mean? Like, Mm -hmm. I think, like, you can have a great message, but if you sacrifice characters that are worth caring about that actually another thing's like good dialogue like i there's a lot of movies now even beyond hard like the dialogue is just not good um i need to care about these people so when stuff does happen which we'll get to stephen king because he's great at that you need to actually give a shit about the people so when the stuff does happen bad things probably that they matter i don't think they really do that very well like i said they're so they're so gung-ho on the message they're kind of sacrificing everything else. That's kind of where I see horror right now. Right, and and it's partly also sometimes you have these characters, and I, I, I felt like there was a lot of this in the most recent Scream movie. I don't know if you've seen that. But I did, a, actually. There's a lot of plot armor in that movie. Yeah. Um, and I feel like it's important that, in a lot of ways, you have to make sure that your characters are put into real jeopardy. Yeah. Or else, like, it doesn't. if you feel like there's no chance for them to be hurt or whatever like you don't like you you invest a 10 minute scene in this action sequence and then at the end you know that you already know when it starts who's who's going to win or lose and that some you know this character can't get hurt so you you're less invested but then also the other thing is you need to have characters who are not just these perfect people you need to have flaws in in your heroes or else you don't see any growth as far as like screen movies, I didn't think it was bad. Possible spoilers. Uh, I didn't think it was a bad film. Like I said, as far as the screen movies go, which I'm not, I'm not like I thought the first one was really good. I thought the fourth one was great. Mm-hmm. Um, even though they tried to really throw you off, I thought it was kind of predictable at times. Um, and like you said, your character, and that's another thing too. Talking about like new horror stuff, it's either it's either they're too perfect and Right off the bat, they're too perfect. They're not relatable. Right. You know. So yeah, that kind. I definitely, I definitely agree with that. Um, that that with the new screen too. It's like I, I like when horror franchises like pay homage to the ones that come before. I do. Sometimes though, I think they maybe do that movie. I kind of think they do it like a little too much. And I also think I didn't see part five. But I heard about part five, and I and I heard what they were trying to do with part five, and then like to actually see like that play out in part six, you're just kind of like, ah, I don't really like that. I, I think right. Those characters in the first movie are dead. Let them be. <laughs> right. <laughs> Let them be. It's like no, that's a terrible way. Like I didn't like how they brought you know, like I said, spoilers. I didn't like how they brought back the killer from the first movie, even though he's not real there. It's like, a, you know, she all of a sudden is like a, which I guess she was like a daughter of his, right? Yeah. Billy, is that his name? Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's like, all right, all right, come on. Like, that's sort just... of like a legacy, sort of. Yeah, thing. and it's, I don't know. It's one of those things where it's like, okay, I could kind of see that if I really check my brain at the door, but you're asking right. you're asking a lot for me to do that. <laughs> so we were, we were talking a little bit about Stephen King. What, what, do you remember your introduction to Stephen King? Yes, I do. The first book 
I read of Stephen King was, I believe, so it was 1996, and my oldest brother was, uh, I had just started Del Castle. Uh, my oldest brother had a gas station job, and he was working nights, so it was really slow, and it was at the, uh, the mobile station up at, like, I-95, like the truck stop, kind of. So he was reading Stephen King, and he's like, yeah, you know. And I, I, I had sustained silent reading, which was fucking awesome. I'm at 45 minutes to read every morning. Yeah. So that was when, remember the Green Mile was coming out, but it was mm-hmm. like the little books? Yeah, they were coming out in like in episodes. So two of them were out. And I'm like, all right, well, Stephen King, you know, he's reading Stephen King. And, you know. I'd seen it and I'd seen all the, you know, I'd seen it by then and I'd seen Misery, the film by then. And I'd seen Cujo. I'd seen all like the film adaptations that were at the time. So I was like, all right, I'm going a, I'm to a read these. So I read the first two, but three hadn't come out yet. So that's when I read uh, The Talisman. Mm. And The Talisman to this day is still my favorite novel. And I think. I think right after the talisman, I went right into the stand, and the stand was like, wow, like you know what I mean. The, so the stand, I guess, was probably the first real written solely by Stephen King novel that I tackled. I think uh, my first one that I read was Christine. Um, nice. My dad had a copy of Christine. He had a lot of Stephen King books, and then I remember the second one. I he gave me a copy of. The Shining. And I had seen the movie, but yeah. the book is very different yes. than Kubrick's movie. Yeah. So that was one of the first experiences <laughs> of sort of like that disconnection between a film adaptation and, and the book. Uh, and I was like, man, I, as much as I love Kubrick's movie, I, you know, the book was almost something completely Absolutely. different. And, so then I sort of loved them both equally. Um, so that I think that was sort of my, my gateway into Stephen King. And then I started to read, um, and I read it and the stand near sort of the, the tomes. Um, I went back and read Carrie, uh, Salem's lot. Yeah. Um, some of the collections. Um, I still think my fate, one of my favorite, uh, Stephen King stories is I think it's in four past midnight. Um, it's the one called the Library Police. Yes, Library Policeman. Yeah, about Ooh. just the guy if you did, you know turned your library book in late that that sort of hunted you down. And I always yeah. thought that like what a what a terrifying idea for a monster. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, some of these short stories are great. There's also the one with the tiger in the bathroom. Yeah. Um, What's that? that uh, I want to say that's is that. Uh, I think that's in Skeleton Crew, maybe. Either Skeleton Crew or different seasons. I get those two mixed up. Yeah, I think that one's like the, one of the first stories in Skeleton Crew, and it's really short. Um, but like that was one of sort of a master class in in, in sort of dis- like sensory descriptions. I remember, you know, you could really feel being in that bathroom. You know, mm-hmm. you really see the the tiger just in there, with, just because it's sort of a strange concept, but like. Stephen King just has this way of being able to transport your mind wherever he wants you to go. He does. Stephen King, so Stephen King, to me, so I read, like that first year when I had sustained silent reading and I I got on Stephen King kick bad. I was reading every Stephen King book I could get my hands on. 
Uh, my favorite book of short stories of his is Night Shift. And I remember reading Night Shift and Night Shift, especially um, like I Am the Doorway. Mm-hmm. To me, that's like the most... It was almost like a rated R version of a Twilight Zone episode. And I, I fucking loved it. But my favorite Stephen King short story of all time is One for the Road. And when you read One for the Road, and it's cool because I read, I'm pretty sure I read Night Shift like right after I read Salem's Lot. And obviously One for the Road is very tied to Salem's Lot. Mm-hmm. And it's just, it's just such a cool story because I remember I can just envision myself in that bar and this guy coming in, it's like, oh, I'm broke down. I got my, I got my family in the car. I'm sure, buddy, man, no problem. We got you. Yeah, I'm right by the exit for Salem's Lot. What'd you say? Right. <laughs> yeah, Salem's Lot. What's the problem? Oh, fuck. <laughs> like, it's so cool because, especially if you already read the, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Like, you can already feel like, oh, dude, come on. All the places, you're sitting there reading. It's like all the places you had to break down, you dumb motherfucker. Well, I mean, and that's sort of the other thing. I mean, now it's sort of uh, connected universes and media is sort of in vogue. Yeah. But if, you know, reading Stephen King in the, you know, in the 80s and 90s, like, and you would read something and be like, oh, that tie, you know, the amount, like, yeah. You, it's, you didn't necessarily have to have read those other things. But you but, already and knew. Especially, like, if you read The Dark Tower, like, yeah. it sort of ties oh, yeah. into all of these things. You don't necessarily need to, but, like, if you have you the, the payoff, is spectacular yeah and i remember so i don't think i started reading because i read the dark tower and i love it and i want to like one of my missions in life is to read that whole thing again um but uh i remember before i read the gunslinger like you can see that's another thing too it's so amazing about stephen king like you know way before there was marvel comics here's a guy who he already had this whole universe he was connecting. And, you know, I remember, I think the first, the first time I really started making like the connections was I read it. And this is just by chance. Cause you know, I didn't look it up on the internet because there was no internet. Well, there was internet, but my family was very, very different. It's very different. I just happened to get it and the Tommy knockers on like Easter as like an Easter gift or something. My mom bought me these two books and I read it first. And then I read Tommy knockers and there's the scene in the Tommy knockers where like you see Pennywise a clown. I'm like, Holy mm-hmm. shit. He's in it. Like, and then you started right. really like, Oh, okay. Yeah. Like go back and check it out. Like there's a short story in night shit. It talks about captain trips. It's like, Oh shit. This little story is going on, you know, with the stand and right. You know, and then, just all these little uh, – I read Insomnia, and I'm like, oh, shit, here we go. Crimson King, this guy's name's come up before. This is crazy. So he's got all the – then I read The Dark Tower, and I was like, oh. Uh, the yeah. amount of connections of The Dark Tower. You're just reading, and you're like, episode. yeah, oh, I remember the big, like – again, spoilers. Like, when I finally finished Wizard in the Glass, mm-hmm. I was like, holy shit. <laughs> you know what I mean? That was that was amazing, you know. Finding out, yeah. Then like, finding out, flag is in all these different places, you know. Reading Eyes of the Dragon and all that stuff. Um, so, do you have a favorite like film adaptation of Stephen King's books? So, I was going to ask you that first. So, I bet you do. My favorite adaptation, as far as it's the closest 
to the actual novel. Okay, so let me rephrase that. I think the best adaptation as far as movie following the novel is actually Gerald's Game. Mm. I think Gerald, I think 2016, yeah, it's a Netflix Nothing film. Recent. Yeah. Mike Flanagan, awesome. I think Gerald's Game from Netflix is the closest movie to the book that you're going to find as far as like the Stephen King's. But my favorite actual film adaptation is the uh, 1980 sales lot. Mm. What about you? Um, this has sort of become a, a recent uh, thing. So uh, there's, there's sort of two answers. Um, I'm always going to love Carrie. You know, and <laughs> I sort of lump Carrie sort of in Christine sort of like, th- like they have a very similar vibe to them. Mm-hmm. Carrie is always going to be my, one of my favorites just because it was so like seminal and forming my love of horror. <laughs> Um, I don't like any of the remakes. It's Sissy Spacek or nothing. Yeah. As as I'm concerned. Yeah. Um, and then um, recently, I don't know if you remember, there was a TV movie in the 80s. I, don't know, I think it was in the 90s of the Langoliers. Yes. Oh, yeah. With uh, Bronson Pinchot, right? Right. So uh, I remember recording that as it was, was coming out, watching, you know, and it was I think it was over three nights and it's like six hours long. Yeah. That now, was that was one of the I had that on VHS and it was like the two VHS tapes mm-hmm. together. Now I don't know if you've heard about this, but with you know, there was a, a filmmaker who um did a new cut of the Langoliers. I do not know this. And it it's a, a not like a ninety minute trimmed down version of what the Langoliers could have been it's taken all that old footage but it took him like a decade to do it and he's got these effects in it where it's literally like um the film itself is is sort of eating eating away at it um and and it is one of the most genius things i've ever seen (laughs) a filmmaker do because i remember feeling even at like 13 or 14 watching that original tv version of the langoliers being like this is a short story. This, this, yeah. There is so much fat on this, in this movie. Like, I, I, it's, it was out of control. And to see it restructured into, like, a 90-minute tight cut of that story. I mean, whole plot lines just disappear um, in it. Yeah, and, and, I, and I don't think... It sounds like, I mean, it sounds like you don't really lose a lot. Mm. You know what I mean? Like, me and the, like obviously, I love that version. But I'm very. I would love to see this one. Yeah, yeah. Actually, we. I went up to. Um, I went to Philly. It was, it was sort of touring, and and it was one of those things where I was able to see it sort of on a big screen. And oh, so cool. Um, <laughs> yeah. So that's become idiots. that has become one of my one of my favorite adaptations because of just what a novel sort of approach to reputting that that whole thing together. I have, and, and, and maybe, maybe this makes me a bad horror fan, but I have not seen the new, the new it movies. I've only seen the Tim Curry is, and you know, in my head, Tim Curry is still. Yeah. Pennywise. And, and here's, and here's my take on those real quick. Cause that I always bring like certain stuff up and there's always stuff. I'm like, all right, I want to go back and do like a whole like episode just dedicated to that. But like, and it's one of them. It's a, it's an episode. I can't wait to do like, but as far as those movies go, you're right. I think, like I, I think Scarsgard did 
a fantastic job with the material he was given. And I think he he definitely looks fucking frightening. He's very good. And like chapter one of it, in my opinion, it's a great movie. If you were just if someone was like, okay, I'm just gonna do a movie about them as kids. I'm not going further. It's gonna be a one-off. It's a great movie by itself. There's some things about it that I would change, but as far as like a two-hour movie sitting down. Some cool imagery. The the um, the opening scene is very true to the book. Um, you know, definitely some good stuff in there. Obviously, there's stuff we wish they could have put in that they didn't. Me personally, like the teenage werewolf scene, I wish they would have kept. That's you know because I love that movie. Um, but then, to me, chapter two, where they're adults, it just doesn't work. Like. When you start getting into like the ritual of Chud and like all the real weird stuff that's like in the novel, you really got to commit to it. Right. You either got to do it that way or leave it alone. And they tried to, they tried to take a little bit of it to kind of do like a, to me, to kind of do like a fan service to the people who read the book. But it just kind of went off the rails. It doesn't work. And it's, it's, to me, it's not good. I don't like chapter two. So as a whole, I'm going to say, I'm gonna say one and a half out of five. So, do you think that we still have not gotten the definitive version of it on film? I, I don't. I don't. I think both the Tim Curry one for what it, for the time it came I out. I think people forget that that was made for TV. That was made, yeah, for a made so for it TV. Really had to tone down a lot. Of it had the, to tone down a lot of stuff, and like I said, his performance is still creepy and amazing but like with the for the mood for the effects that they had at the time the budget they had at the time and like you said made for tv you weren't really going to get too much you weren't really going to get much better but no we we still have not seen the definitive version of it and i'm that's i think it's gonna be really tough to do i don't know how they would really do it you know that's a that's a that's a lot it's a lot to that's a lot of a budget to ask for that I think only the diehards will really appreciate when it's right. all said and done. So uh, the reason we're even talking about Stephen King is I have the opportunity to work on a stage adaptation yes. of Misery. Um, so I don't know if you had the chance because it was on Broadway for a while. I did not. I didn't. Uh, like I said, I, well, hold on. was... I know they did like a. I know they did a stage version of it. I think what they talk wasn't like Bruce Willis playing the part yep, and of Lauren uh, Metcalf. Also, yeah, I did. Uh, I actually did see that. I don't know how was that recent. Uh, I think it was like uh, like 2014, 2015. Okay, yeah, not too well. You know, seems like not that long. But ago. when you have um, <laughs> celebrities of that that scale sort of in your production, it didn't run for very very long. Yeah. I think it ran maybe a year. Okay. Um, well, but it, you know, it, it, it garnered a lot of, uh, critical acclaim and stuff like that. Although some people were not thrilled with Bruce Willis's performances. Paul, everybody really loved Laurie Metcalf, um, in the role, but, um, yeah. And then I, I couldn't remember, I don't think it ever like toured after that. No, I don't think it, uh, I don't like, think it know, went didn't, any like, further through Philly or anything. Mm. They didn't like cast a touring company or anything. So, um, in, in October 
my friend Joe Pukach is going to be directing what will probably be the local premiere of Misery on stage. So uh, I'm going to stage manage and, um, you know, we're, we're starting to put it together. Uh, right now, as we're sitting, we're in early July. And by, by the end of the month, we'll have the show cast and start rehearsals. It's going to be a fascinating rehearsal process because, as you can imagine, it's not a huge cast in the show. It's just going to be two. There's, I think, there's three roles because I think you do need to cast the sheriff. But yeah, but he's time. But it's a very small role, so we're going to be casting essentially two actors who have to do this whole story. Yeah. So right off the bat, that's super fucking cool that you guys are doing this. Why misery? Is it was misery something like you wanted to take a Stephen King adaptation? You're like, you know what? This is something we could do. As far as because, like I said, it's just going to be. It's mostly those two actors really got to tell that story. Like, um, partly because there aren't that many other adaptations of his work for the stage. Misery. Yeah, we have we have it. So that's um, one of the reasons to do it. Um, plus. Joe's vision for it is to really sort of build a set and a situation where you feel like you are in that room with them. And uh, we really have to sort of stretch ourselves creatively because you have to do certain effects that, I mean, to a certain degree, like if you're going to go and pay to see a production of Misery, there are certain things you're expecting to see. Yeah, we know, and we know exactly which uh, scene we're talking about, I think. <laughs> so we're already talking about like how to, how do we build a bed so that we can really do certain effects? You know, you, you can't go in and I mean, we're, if you haven't seen Misery the movie, which we could also talk about a little bit. But, oh, we're definitely going to talk about but, it. But, yeah. um, you know, you're expecting to see Annie Wilkes come out with a sledgehammer and make sure that Paul's not going anywhere. Yeah. So, like, so going to, like, real quick, like, going to the Rob Reiner film, which I can't believe that film's, like, already 30 years old. Mm-hmm. 1990, I think it came out. Yes, yeah. I remember watching him talking about how they did that scene. And th- that scene's obviously very different from the book, which a lot of people, I think, don't know. Because, like, you know, Misery's one of those, Misery, to me, is one of those novels where, the movie was so big and the movie was so successful that like it doesn't the book doesn't really get talked about a lot. Right. But he actually gets his foot cut off and then cauterized with a propane torch in the mm-hmm. in the novel. Uh, obviously yeah, it's Rob, very different. Yeah, the novel is actually very violent compared to the uh, movie. But I guess what they did was they literally built. Um, I guess they, they built a thing to where, like, so his body's actually going into the bed, and then they built, like, his feet with something that was going to break. So when she, you know, and they made it look real. So obviously when she hit that foot, and it looked like his foot just, you know what I mean? But if you go back and watch the film, and I don't know if this would, like, help how you're going to pull this off. If you go and watch the film, like, that first initial scene of that foot getting broke and that sound, sound is so critical in that scene that when she goes to do the second foot you don't see it you only hear the sound but you're Mm. so just like 
You're so jarred. You're from... so jarred about what you just saw that you don't even realize that, like, okay, they don't go back to the second foot. So they, when they built the prop, they only built the prop, I guess, with the one foot there and had his second foot. Mm-hmm. And that, you know, like that quick image, like, okay, yeah, it's his feet. And then, yeah, so she breaks that foot. And then, yeah, when she goes and she's like, almost done. It's because, you know, I'm almost done, baby. And then you don't see it. You just hear the sound. And it's all Jimmy Khan's performance. <laughs> Writhing in pain. So I don't know if that would actually be like a help for you guys pulling that scene off. Yeah, I mean, we've we've definitely already started talking about the idea of whoever's going to play Paul being able to sort of, I mean, because that actor is basically in bed. Yeah, you know, I mean, yeah, you know, so I think we we may try and create something that where he can sort of sit comfortably to deliver his dialogue, mm-hmm. you know, and then put, but you know, it's it's one of those things where if you just have fake legs there the entire show, and they never move, yeah. It's not gonna, you know, people. It's not are gonna, gonna have the same effect. Same effect. So, you know, at one point, Joe and I had sort of discussed the possibility of trying to do it sort of the way that they do it in the novel, where we were actually gonna cut yeah. the foot off. Um, but I think we decided that the movie is, and it's sort of like what we were just saying, the movie is so ingrained in pop culture and in our public, like in in in, in consciousness that it'd be like if you're going to a concert, like you're going to an ACDC concert and you're, you know, they don't, they don't play like back in black or something, you know? Yeah. You're going to be like, with, yeah, you're that's, like, a, that's a great I, analogy. I, I came to see, <laughs> I came to see the hits, man. Like I want yeah. to see those ankles get broken. Yeah. What do you mean? She shook me all night long. You're not going to play it. Right. Bullshit. Right. So I think we've decided that we're going to go and try and keep it sort of, um, you know, Joe is when his process is sort of to, to he hasn't reread the novel. He hasn't, gone back and watched the movie recently he really is trying to approach strictly the script okay as he's got it you know and and sort of tell that story and it's going to be a very hard process to cast these two actors because you need two people that can carry that much presence on stage because you know in a movie you know you're the camera's in your face and you can sort of like but in in a in a play if you can't hold that attention of the audience from 30 feet or 50 yeah. feet it's you know the you're going to lose the audience especially when you've only you know you've only got two people um so it's going to be really interesting it's going to be a hard process to find the right combination of actors it's going to be a um but once i think we have them it's going to be really fun to create a whole world and see what kind of annie wilkes you can get you know and what kind yeah. of Paul sheldon you can get well to me like I said, not knowing anything about theater or acting, to me, I think, like you said, they're it's it's a big they're big shoes to fill because you know, especially Annie Wilkes because Kathy everyone's going to be thinking about Kathy Bates' performance. I mean, she won Best Supporting Actor, I think, for that role. I mean, she, like that that's when you think Kathy Bates, that's the role you think of, and she did such a phenomenal job. I think whoever does do that role as so Annie Wilkes in that movie is kind of different than this one. Actually, she's a little crazier in this one. And like I said, she's way more violent. Um, but I think, I don't know, I think you could really, that's a role you could really bring. Like, you know what, I'm going to have fun being kind of, I don't want to say bipolar, but yeah, maybe. I'm going to have fun being like this kind of, because you can really play it over the top 
And mm-hmm. I think people would still probably like, ah, oh, it's it still, people would find that very still entertaining and very scary at the same time. So I, uh, I was looking up some productions that have happened. You know, there hasn't been a lot of productions of it yet. It only, the rights have only been available for like two years. Um, but there was a production, I think it was in Maryland and it went in a very different direction with Andy Wilkes. So the, the room, instead of it sort of being a cabin, sort of like in the woods and rustic, um, the set design was basically like um, a very like teeny bopper room. So it was bright, um, lots of like, it was a lot of posters of Paul Sheldon's work and stuff. That's and, actually pretty, that's a pretty and cool And then Annie Wilkes take. was, you know, she was very prim and proper and sort of much more of the modern obsessed fan. So, I mean, I'm sure that you have to deal with this with all of your obsessed fans. Um, oh, yeah, okay. <laughs> so, yeah, that was like, that was the, that was the, I thought it was an interesting take to sort of modernize. I mean, you certainly, when you see this white room and this girl like sort of in a, in a, in a, in a dress and all this stuff that like total opposite of the Annie Wilkes you're expecting. That, but that's, you know, like, I don't that's... know if that's, if that would work based on what the story is supposed to do, but I do have to give credit to that design team for yeah. at least trying something different. I actually, I actually like that. I think that's actually a really, that's actually a very cool and like interesting take. And it's like, you know what? I never would have, I never would have thought of that. And it's like, okay, that's, you know, that's, kind of scary yeah yeah it's certainly a way to go <laughs> it's certainly a way to go i definitely think like if someone yeah if you walked into a room and it's like you're everywhere it's like oh my god i love you you definitely would be very scary situation right so i think that's cool that's really cool yeah definitely kudos to them so and do I you mean, do you like the the film adaptation of misery i do i actually really do like the film adaptation i remember this so i read misery um I read Misery later on. Uh, Misery is one of the few. So I think there's only a couple Stephen King books like left for me to finish. And I think I've kind of purposely like slowed down. I almost don't want to read them all. You know what I mean? Right. Um, And I still get the new ones that come out. So Misery was kind of like, I want to say I've read Misery probably in the last, for the first time, probably in the last uh, eight years. Uh, and yeah, I remember, and it's, it was actually kind of tough because the movie was so good and I was such a fan of the movie already that when I was reading the novel, I was kind of more comparing Mm -hmm. things to the movie, which is not very good for the, you know, it's not good for the enjoyment experience of the book, but I do remember the book being very, I don't know, it's, it's, it's way more, it's way more violent, um, the Annie Wilkes character is a, is a lot more like frightening in this in the novel because it's it's such a darker character in the novel. Um, I definitely like they, I think they focus. Stephen King's very descriptive, which is very good, but sometimes can be a lot. You know, being a Stephen King fan, it can be a lot sometimes. And I think in the novel, you get more. You know, so in the movie, the misery character why she's so obsessed with Paul. They touch on just enough to give you the idea. The novel touches more on, you know, they, they delve really into that character a lot and how he's literally writing to stay sane. Right. You know what I mean? Like he's writing because that's the only way he can stay 
not lose his mind while being captive. Um, so they kind of delve more into like that series and that character of misery than I than I, I kind of really needed to go. But uh, I mean, it's it's still a good book. It's it's not my favorite Stephen King book, but it's definitely not the worst. Um, and yeah, I mean, this the the scene where he gets hobbled in the novel. Right. <laughs> yeah, it's it's very graphic. <laughs> it's very good, and uh, the sheriff too. I mean, you you read the mm-hmm. novel, right? Yeah, yeah, I've done both. Yeah, I, I mean, and I and like you, I read the novel much more recently, and it really is hard. I mean, I, I mean, I guess credit to rob reiner i mean like yeah. that movie imprints on your it's very hard to sort of you have to really actively try and forget i mean because it, it's it's very hard not to see paul sheldon as james Conn. it's very hard not yeah. to see maybe that's why on broadway they went with somebody who, who's so physically different from kathy bates with laurie metcalf you know because they're so physically different that maybe you're hoping that the audience will yeah, I think that's like let let that idea of Kathy Bates go. I think that's I think that's definitely the way you gotta go if you're playing because it was it's almost like, I mean, obviously who I'm getting ready to name is way more of a pop culture icon, so it's like not the same, but it kind of is. It's almost like if you were gonna when they decided they were gonna do another Batman movie with the Joker, it's like. Heath Ledger came in as like, there's no way I can play him like Jack Nicholson because that's right. so ingrained in people's minds. I got to go a completely different way while still kind of telling the same story of the character. I think if you're going to do like, and that's a credit to Kathy Bates. I mean, Kathy Bates did such a good job. It's like, if yeah, if you were going to remake Misery or if you were going to do something, you probably would have to. It's like, I can't play it that way. I'm doing right. myself to fail. But, yeah, uh, so I think that that's it's a, it's a credit to her performance. It's a credit to the way Rob Reiner directed that movie. Yes, it's a credit to that script that it it all sort of came together because it's not a, an overly complicated story, you know. It's you know, but it really does sort of take over in, in the same way that if you've seen Stanley Kubrick Shining, it's very hard not to read that and not see Jack Nicholson. Yeah, um, as Jack Torrance, <laughs> like it just those. So there are certain things that just become icons or mm-hmm. avatars of, of the different characters. But, I mean, I think the nice thing about Stephen King is, in most cases, his stories are sort of so universal that when you find you can find ways to put your own stamp. I agree. We're hoping that we can sort of, you know, by the way that we design the set and... At one point, we were even talking about um, building a set in such a way that you could actually have people sitting on stage sort of in the room with them and then um, drop even drop the temperature so that you really feel like you're sort of yeah. in a winter cabin <laughs> with them. Um, so, but, um, you know, the theater's been, been great, um, really supportive of the whole idea. The one thing they did say is like, Look, October, Stephen King, we don't want to limit the amount of tickets that we can sell. We feel like this is going to sell mm-hmm. well. So I definitely think, yeah, I think Misery is one of those movies, one of those stories that everybody knows. So, yeah, that's stage adaptation of Misery. Yeah, pff, fuck yeah, I'm going to go. So, yeah, not, like you said, in October, 
sign me up. I definitely want to, you know, can I get a ticket? Yeah. Because <laughs> I definitely yeah. want to see it. I want to see what you guys come up with. I'm actually really, uh, really pumped for this. Yeah. So we're, we're excited. That's going to be our October project. And um, yeah. So uh, Joe and I worked on all, all kinds of uh, different projects. The other thing that we completed just the beginning of this summer was we worked on an anthology for, um, well, going back, we, we found out a, a few years ago that, I don't know if, if you've been up to Phoenixville for Blobfest yet, but they do a short film called Shorty Short Film Festival. Mm-hmm. And last year, we sort of collectively, there's uh, four of us that um, have directed uh, short films now. So last year, we submitted three different short films to Shorty's Short Film Festival, and they're all Blob-themed. So... Um, sort of unintentionally we created sort of an arc of going from the blob meteor landing on earth up through what a blob society would look like if the blob had taken over the whole earth. So the first, um, the first story that we did about my friend JD directed, and it's literally uh, a couple of kids on a farm find the meteor. They poke it with a stick and, (laughs) rub it on each other and it ends up you know eating them (laughs) and then my friend john did a a movie and it's uh, a janitor finds a bit of blob on his shoe in a workplace and um you know the blob ends up eating the boss um (laughs) and, and and screwing up the workplace um joe directed one that's the blob's now been weaponized and it's a mob boss that uses the blob to get <laughs> his, get people to talk. Um, so that one's called the blob father. And that's pretty um, funny. That's I play good. in that one. I, I do some acting. I play the victim uh, who's been tied to a chair and then I'm, you know, to get me to confess or whatever, like they're going to feed me the blob or whatever. And the way that we did that was, Literally, they poured an entire Costco-sized jar of grape jelly down my gullet. Um, oh. And that was, that was one of those things when you're making a movie. Like, you get one shot at that. Yeah. I, I'm Does not, his own stunts, guys. I, I am not going to drink. <laughs> I'm not going to guzzle down two Costco-sized jars of jelly. Like, well, I would hope not. Gotta, I'm, like, I'm gotta, gagging gotta, just hearing you yeah, doing you gotta, the first one. You've got to take that. You get one chance at that shot. And then, so those are the three that we submitted last year. And um, up in Phoenixville, they do the Blob Fest. Mm-hmm. Friday night, they have the Run Out, famous for like the Stephen Queen movie. Mm-hmm. And so you 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 know everybody runs out. They and they sort of announce you know it's a contest, so they do announce winners and stuff. And then that Saturday, when they have the street fair, you can actually go up to Phoenixville and you can go and see. The whole collection. There was about twenty-five, I think, short films total. That's super cool. And that's uh, and they're the, all three minutes long. What the Colonial Theater, right? So I haven't. Uh, Blobfest is on like my bucket list of things to do. Like I said, Blobfest for some of you who never heard of it, it's uh, they re they show the nineteen fifty-eight Blob at the Colonial Theater, Phoenixville, PA. I believe that's like a from where we are in Newark. It's probably what like two hours. Maybe a little less. Maybe a little less. Yeah. Um, yeah, so they show the blob, and then they do the famous run-out scene 
Uh, but that, so how? Because I know that that's kind of it started out. They would just kind of do the anniversary mm-hmm. of the Blob movie. That's really cool. They started doing like the short films and like the street fair. Uh, I believe a friend of mine, uh, Sarah, is actually doing the street fair this year. Well, it's sort of grown into a real celebration of horror yeah. fandom and sci-fi fandom. Mm-hmm. Um, so they do, they show the older one. I know some years they'll show the remakes. They'll sort of show other films that were made right around the same time. You know, uh, there's a, usually uh, some sort of a celebration of Steve McQueen's work because he was in the original one. Um, the, they'll have original props and stuff from the, from the yeah. movie, I mean, and you're in that same theater where it was was shot. I mean, you're literally in in the room where it happened. And I've actually been, so I've been in that theater one time. And I'll, I'll, I so it was a couple years ago. They were they found a. I want to say they found a twelve millimeter or an eight millimeter uh, version of Suspiria, mm. and they were basically taking it like on tour, and they showed it at the Colonial Theater. So I got to see Suspiria in that theater, but I've never, Blobfest is one of those things like I always wanted to do and it just never seems like the timing never seems to be, never seems to be there, but I definitely want to go because I love, uh, like the Blob is cool, but I tell anybody, if you've ever get a chance to see the 1988 version, the 1988 versions, to me, besides John Carpenter's The Thing, it's probably the best horror remake I've ever seen. Mm. Um, and I believe it's the... I can't think of his name off the top of my head, but I want to say it's the director of Nightmare on Elm Street 3. Did that movie? Oh, that's possible. I, I think. But very good, very good. But you're also so, because this will probably air after Blobfest. You're actually going to do, there's other showcases where you're going to show these movies, correct? Yeah, so so this year, so we submitted those three last year, and then this year, sort of again, we, you know, it was a lot of work to put together three of them in one year. Oh, yeah, I bet. But um, I had my script written and i was telling you i i originally i was a human resources major in college but i haven't actually worked a single day <laughs> as in hr I, I i worked in radio i was a teacher i work in sales now but i never i never worked in human resources so i but i wrote a script that is an hr training film for now the blob is your boss uh, the Blob is now a corporate entity. He is Blob Corp, and he has HR professionals that are going to teach you how to interact with your now alien coworkers. <laughs> that's actually that's actually like I want to see these films. That's so actually I, really good, I, good I, idea. The way that, that sort of it's scripted out is. You know, just like any, if anybody who's ever had a job, you watch these training videos yep. um, where, you know, it's like, welcome to, you know, your first day. And usually it's like, here's where your desk is. Well, in, in, in the blob doesn't need you to actually fill out paperwork. What he needs is to you to feed his collective consciousness. So it's, it's how to hook yourself up to your, your collective consciousness so that we can drain you of your essence. And then it's. <laughs> Specifically, some things not to do when interacting with the blob. So what the first one is the, the employee kind of comes over to the blob and is like, you know, hey, um, you know, can I buy some corporate secrets so that I can sell them on the black market for a huge profit? No, no, no. And the second one is he, the employee tries to sexually harass the blob. And he says, you know, maybe you could wear something a little more suggestive as the blob. 
That's a no-no. And then the last one, he's literally poking the blob with his finger. Um, but, yeah. I really would like to see you in heels. Yeah. Yeah, he literally leads over. He's like, you know, maybe, you know, it's your job's on the line. We're talking. So, um, ideally, now that terrible, we have sort terrible. of have, we sort of have this whole arc of, like, from the blob landing as a meteor all the way up through it becoming your boss, uh, you know, taking over corporate America. Um, what we've done is we, we, which found would it. happen yeah. if, you, if that happened today. I mean, yeah. come on now. It would just eat anybody in its way. Um, so what we did was we've collected our four films. So they're three minutes each. So that's uh, 12 minutes of, of, of footage, which we were hoping to sort of uh, grow it out. So what we did was Joe wrote a whole script around uh, the idea of a horror host, like a classic 70s, 80s horror host. And we got our friend Shelly to come in and play a character we're calling the, mon- uh, the Monster Queen. That's awesome. And um, so we created a whole laboratory set with, with coffins and skeletons and everything um, in, in, uh, in a basement. And uh, the whole concept is that you know, the blob is on her set and she accidentally breaks the jar and it escapes and it starts to get on her. And as she's introducing each of the different films that she's we just made, more and more. Yeah. So it, 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 you know, she gets more and more covered yeah. until the final bit is literally all you can see is Shelly's face. All the rest of her has been devoured by the blob and it's just her face in a pool and the way we did it was literally you know we didn't we didn't cgi it it's all practical effects we built a false floor cut a hole out of it dropped shelly underneath of it pulled her hair up through it put her clothes on it covered it in blob and and there you go like we we really sort of you know we are firm believers in doing everything with practical effects so are you still a big collector of physical media or have you started to sort of downsize your collection i i started to kind of um i don't buy as many movies as i used to um but i i still buy movies i still like i buy a blu-ray i buy a 4k i if i have a dvd and they got a new edition coming out i upgrade it and but i stuck to like so i used to buy marvel movies and you know, oh man, I want a, oh, a new copy of Tombstone. I'm getting that, or this collection's kind of getting that. Now I've kind of like, okay, I'm just kind of keeping it to horror movies because they're the only ones I really go back to rewatch. But no, I still collect, I still buy physical media stuff. I'll, I'll that will probably never. Once I got to start getting rid of my 4Ks for 8K, yeah, I'm quitting. <laughs> <laughs> well, they say that like we're sort of getting to a point where. We've, we've gone beyond what our eyes can even detect. Yeah. Technology is now exceeding what we can watch <laughs> on a TV at home. That yeah. We there's nothing to tell the difference. There's, there's no, there's no, like I have a, I have a 4k TV. I, I just got a four 4k player because I was collecting all of these really great horror editions of 4k movies. Yeah. Um, and I didn't have a way to watch them. So for my birthday, I finally got, a 4k player so that I can now actually like, a, so that's sort of the physical media that I'm collecting too. And I think that that sort of like you, I had to sort of just 
settle in on a particular yeah. genre, especially those are the these are the ones that I go back to. Or I'm gonna have friends over, we're gonna wanna do Exactly. It's always probably going to be horror themed. Exactly, and I'm the same way. Like if I'm having, if I'm having friends over, usually it's around Halloween time, and it's it's horror stuff, you know. And I mean, I'm not I inviting watch my stuff. friends over to watch a 4K version of The Breakfast Club. No, no, exactly. And we now, can we can we can deal with whatever I can stream. Well, now, you know what? And this it's a shame. It's a shame too because now, like this is where, in a time where they're to me they're trying to phase out having the physical stuff is the best time to get it because now it's like okay you got all all the paul nashy horror films are on blu-ray um a lot of like the euro stuff is coming out now like i just saw i saw a collection coming out it's on amazon and it's like um i forget the other films that are in it right off the top of my head but one of them is lady frankenstein mm. like all the italian horror movies are coming out a lot of the giallo horror movies are mm-hmm. finally coming out on like nice blu-ray copies it's like in this it's sad it's like all the time where they want you to stream all the really good stuff we couldn't get good copies of now we have we can right <laughs> well that's the thing is because i'm sort of of two minds because there is there is a certain part of me that's always going to love to see especially like that 70s stuff like yeah. i want to see it on film like i don't yeah. want to see digital rep- you know yeah it's clean it's 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 you know at home, but like I will travel to see. Like we were talking about Suspiria. I yes. went and saw that in Philadelphia. Yeah. Um. When it when and it came out on on film, and the the print was beautiful, but it was one of those weird things where they had a new version of the subtitles, but uh, okay. it was like a new translation. But it was on a separate track, so it was being projected separately, and we kept ha- they kept having breakdowns oh. with the. Um, with the with the projector that was doing the thing, and the crazy thing is, I hadn't seen the original Suspiria. I've only it's only been like four or five years since I've seen that. I hadn't I had not seen that growing up. Yeah. Um, and I mean, just the first time you see some of those Italian horror movies, the way those directors visually told their stories, it is like it opens up a whole new door. Yes, it in does. the genre. Yes, it does. I remember seeing uh. So I saw Suspiria a ways back, but like I said, the, like seeing seeing Suspiria on like a DVD copy I bought at like Borders Books and Music versus seeing like that film version was just like a completely different. Like wow, like you finally see in a movie the way it was supposed to be shown. Yeah, like it's almost like the colors have got a different temperature. Yeah, and I remember seeing uh, I think it was, uh, I'm probably pronouncing the name of it very bit, but uh. Tenebre. Mm. Yeah. I remember seeing that for the first time in like the last couple of years. And I was like, holy shit, this movie's fucking nuts. I love it. But they're definitely an acquired taste. But getting like getting these new vibrant looking copies that look great is like still very new to me. And yeah, there's certain films like I would if they I have a 4K version of Texas Chainsaw Massacre that I haven't watched yet. I'm waiting. I'm like almost waiting to watch it. For the right time, the right because that's a movie. That's a movie that's very sacred to me. If they were torn with a film version of that, you fucking damn right, I would. Right, <laughs> right. I would be there. Well, it's like I mean, I think in the last <clears throat> three years, I've probably gone to see the thing in the theater. Yeah, me too. Like four times. Yeah, because they keep coming out with new, upgraded versions of it, and that's a movie that I think the 
the best quality I can see of it, the better. Yeah, me um, too. I saw it. It's uh, so I saw that last year with uh with my friends from uh we have a my friends get together who watch horror movies that we call Murder Club. We went to Movies Ten to watch that, and I was like, man, I think I was there. We might have been at the same. We show. might have, but it's like they were showing it at Movies Ten, and it's like, damn right, man, I want to see. It. And yeah, like Mahoning, like I haven't been to Mahoning in a couple of summers, but I. I've been there to watch. So they had a John Carpenter night the last time I was there with Murder Club. And I think it was, oh, man, they were showing. Uh, the night I was there, they did two nights. And I think I only went to Saturday night because Friday night, I believe, was they were showing Halloween. They were showing uh, what's like the space one he did? Oh, Starman? Starman or something like that. They were showing, no, I think it was something even – you do a movie called like Dark. Uh, Dark. It was something like it was like one of his. It was like one of his first films. I can't think of it. They were doing that, and they were doing like another movie that I was like, ah, that's it's not one of my. It might have been They Live, which I like, but the next night was In the Mouth of Madness, Big Trouble in Little China, and like John Carpenter's Vampires. So I was like, you know, all right, well, Vampires that's... is probably like okay, whatever. But man, come on, In the Mouth of Madness on at Mahoning, right. yeah, I gotta fucking beat her. Have you ever seen? Uh, have you seen Veronica yet? Are you a Danzi? I mean, obviously, I. But I mean, have, have you have you actually seen some of his films? I love Danzig's music. <laughs> uh, I I watched Veronica, and yeah, he is definitely. Oh man, he is. He's definitely the Ed Wood of twenty twenty two, twenty twenty three, modern day Ed Wood. I'm actually so, even though I was not, ha- I was not, I was entertained for all the wrong reasons with Veronica. Uh, I still want to see Death Rider in the House of the Vampires. I'm yeah, still I haven't waiting. been able to get. I haven't been able to get see it to see it. Yeah, and I'm thinking it's like, sadly with the, with the, sadly with the news of uh, my man who passed away, whose name is uh, was my man from Prophecy, or not Prophecy, my man from uh, Warlock, Julian Sands. Julian Sands who passed away, unfortunately. I, that might have been. His, I think that might have been like his last performance, really. So might have been. You know, maybe someone will pick it up just to make sure, like, someone sees it. But then again, is it a performance he would, really would have been happy with? We, we, have talked, we have talked at length about my friend Joe <laughs> recutting Veronica, doing the Pukach cut. Um, and really, the thing he needs to do is, like, for example, there's the, the, the Bathory scene. And and that that scene just goes on and on. Yeah, you're talking and about you the one look, she's on the horse? Well, when she's looking in the mirror specifically, and you think... At some point, you can almost feel her looking at the camera, being like, "You have to have gotten what yeah. you need." Yeah, and he, they just keep rolling they and keep, rolling and rolling. They keep going, and yeah, I remember like being with my friends watching it, and I'm in my mind, I'm just like on my couch, I'm like, "And if you've seen any other horror movie, like you, you, you can feel naturally like." This is where you should yeah go on to the next. Like scene. you're, I'm yelling at the TV, cut, cut, like. What the fuck are you doing? Yeah, yeah, and he just he just he just holds that shot for minutes. I look. I remember, like, oh man, you know, I I read I saw some reviews on uh, 
they used to call it arrowinthehead.com, but I guess now they just call it joeblow.com. Mm. Um, but I remember like it coming out and I'm like, finally, I'm going to be able to watch this movie. Cause it was the same thing. It was like, he made it. And then it seemed like a long time had passed. And he toured with it. Like, he toured with Philadelphia. It. A couple of my friends went up and see it. And he said that they said that it was a weird vibe in the, in the, in the hall when people went to see it. I forget what theater they, they screened it at, but Danzig was there. Yeah. I remember hearing about that too. And, I saw and he like, said it was a weird mix of horror fans that are there because they want to see the horror movie. And Misfits fans that are just there to see dancing. So, I had a chance to see, like, so I had a chance to see Death Rider in the House of the Vampires if I really wanted to. So, a couple, like, two years ago or maybe a year ago, Danzig was in Las Vegas. And for my, yeah, it was two years ago because I was turning 40. And my wife was like, you know, I'm such a huge Danzig fan. And he was doing the whole second album, which is my favorite album of all time and he was going to do it in, in its entirety just for that show and i was like man you know if only i could go so she got vegas tickets and got the for the hotel and got the you know where it was going on because it was like a three-day like festival thing and he was doing the similar something similar where he was going to have like premiere that movie sit down have like a q a and I was like, man, if we get there, you know, we could maybe go. We could maybe go and see it. But then I was like, I don't know. Nah. I kind of I kind of uh, was like, nah, it's going to be a lot like getting to Vegas and getting to a hotel and going to do that and all this stuff. And then I don't know how, I don't know how good the movie's going to be. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's one of those things where it, it may be, it maybe it's a modern masterpiece. I don't know. It could be, you know, as good as, I don't know, Birdemic. I, I, don't, I don't know. I don't know. I mean, I'm hoping I'm I am definitely going to watch it. It's not a matter of if, it's just a matter of when. If it was on Shutter tonight, I'd watch it tonight. Just because I'm like I said, I I want to see. Now now I I want to see either how good or how bad this thing is going to be. And like I said, I mean, he's got some he's got some big actors in this one. Right. Which makes me think like it's there's got to be something good in it, right? Cuz fucking Eli Roth is in it. <laughs> so uh- be, I would be very remiss if we wrap this up before me getting to ask the question that I wanted to ask you is oh, please there do. was there was this whole possibility we were going to get a whole new Universal Monsters film verse, right? The yes. mummy was sort of the thing that was going to kick it off. Yeah. Um, and it never really got legs. What, what, you know, first of all, what do you think of that? And second of all, like, how would you have, I mean, I don't know of anybody that maybe knows as much about the Universal Monsters as you do. How would They're you have there. done it? Like, how would you have tried to link all that stuff together? Well, I think I think as far as, like, those films go, first off, that Mummy movie with Tom Cruise, I don't think it was a bad movie, per se. It just... I think that movie, for one... The um, like the advertising for that movie really did that movie in because I feel like all the promotion for that movie was that scene of him in that fucking airplane right. with zero gravity. And I think people are like, yeah, okay, you know, because it's actually it's actually a cool movie. It's actually a really cool like popcorn movie. It's definitely it's leagues better than fucking Van Helsing. Mm-hmm. We all remember that, that that was another movie where I was like, yeah, they're gonna get all these monsters together. It's gonna be cool. And it was complete shit. Right. <laughs> 
<laughs> it failed on every it level. It failed on every level. The werewolves were cool, and the, and the vampire brides were cool visually, but that's just about all. Um, I think if you're going to – first off, I think if you're going to do those movies and you're going to take that approach, you need to decide for yourself as like the as the architect of it. Are you going to make these action movies or are you going to make these horror movies? You need to kind of – if you try and do both, you, it gives you a very small window to pull off that being very being done well. Um, and like I said, the mummy tried that. I think that's another thing about that. It didn't, it couldn't decide whether it wanted to be like horror with action. Right. And it just, you know, it failed. I think the, the Brendan Fraser mummy movie was like, nah, we're going to be an action movie. And it worked. A and it wasn't trying it. to tell, it wasn't trying to lead into a lot of other stories. Yeah. I think if you're going to, so if you're going to try and lead in and connect like all these characters, I think what you really need to do is just go back and see how Universal did it before. Because Universal, you know, long before Marvel, Universal did that already. You know, they took um, they took all their movies, with the exception of like the Creature from the Black Lagoon and the Mummy. They took the three big guys, you know, Frankenstein's monster, Dracula, and the Wolfman, and they told a like a very long decade process of connecting all of those movies together. And it was very, you know, as far as like writing with those kind of movies, I thought it was really well done. I think just kind of go back to basics. Like why, why would they meet? What's the point? Okay. Well, Frankenstein's monster is a, just a fucking cannon, an unstoppable killing machine cannon that you can point at your enemies and just boom, who wouldn't want that power? Okay. Well, Throw that into like Dracula being like your big bad guy. Throw that into like the Wolfman looking for a cure. What's he going to do? He's going to look for Frankenstein, but with Doctor Frankenstein, that's the only weird guy, right? And just, that's how you like. It's it's real simple how they would do it. I just think they need to if they're really going to do it and be serious about it. I think they just kind of from the get go be like, okay, are these guys scary, or is this action? And I think the the other thing is you have to find a hook in for your hero. And I, you know, I think the the obvious thing maybe is to go with Van Helsing, but like, maybe there are other other routes to go. Maybe you make Victor Frankenstein the hero, or, or you know, you could make the Wolfman the hero, or 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 even maybe like a Doctor Jekyll. Yeah, I think like I think you're onto something like making the Wolfman the hero because I think the Wolfman, the Wolfman out of all those characters is like the most tragic. Here's a guy who clearly is a monster didn't ask to be a monster doesn't want to be a monster but has to live a life to be a monster like there's that right there just gives you there's so much of a palette to paint a character like a tortured soul character that you root for you know what i mean and you want to root for that that him being him being your hero with that flaw is would be a great take on it and like i said he's if you want to tell the story about like well how's he get wrapped up in this well he's got a condition well i heard there's this doctor who really delves in strange things that could lead into meeting dr jekyll who then leads into meeting frankenstein and like all kinds of stuff like there's there's totally there's totally such an easy not easy because i'm not a writer but like you know there's such a way to do it 
there's no excuse to fail like they have. I mean, it's just to me. You know, well, I, mean, I, I think it's, a, again, the sort of the same thing that like DC Comics, as far as their film things have struggled with, is they they look too far ahead. They're looking at the Justice League movie before they've even told a good Superman movie. Exactly. You're looking at the Universal Monsters All Meet Up movie before you've told a good Dracula movie. Like, tell, you know, it's important that each one of your pieces, the reason why Marvel worked is because Iron Man's a great movie. Mm-hmm. The first Thor is a great, great movie. movie. The first Captain America is a great movie. So all of those things you already cared about those characters and the movies that you're seeing leading up to it were all really good. Exactly. How should so, we wrap? Well, I think we should wrap with... Uh, so, Misery. Movie or book? Uh, movie. You know, I am going to go also with the movie. I think this is one of the few... So this is one of the few instances where the movie is actually better than the book for me. They are very few and far between. <laughs> I don't yeah, know about and, you. And I think maybe we both read the book after and maybe that's coloring our perception a little bit. But yeah. I think that it's such an iconic performance by Kathy Bates. That yes. It's one of those things that even no matter how I would have imagined her, Kathy Bates would have topped it. Mm-hmm. Very Absolutely. rarely do you read a book and you're like, oh, that's better than what I had in my head. Yeah. In this case, I think whatever I could have conjured up in my imagination. I wonder if Stephen King watched that movie the first time and been like, that's better than what I even thought of. You know, I've seen interviews with Stephen King where he's actually, I want to say he's pretty over the moon with the movie and and, and Kathy Bates, how they, uh, how they portray that film and it's, even some of the like some of the ad lib stuff she did in that movie, like the the whole thing with the Liberace records, like that yeah. was that was like an ad lib thing that she did. I thought was like, you know, that's just her, that's her putting her take on that character that Rob Ryder didn't even like think of, which is, you know, pretty cool, pretty funny. And you could tell she like, you could tell she totally got into it. And yeah, I think I think just off of Kathy Bates' performance alone, like yeah, you'll never. That's a very, it's just a very. Uh, iconic performance yeah so I, I reached out to her agent about possibly coming to do it at the wilmington drama league in october really like coming to actually perform as um annie know, wilkes as annie wilkes and oh the, her agent was like you know miss bates is not interested in <laughs> reprising her role and lose my email address so <laughs> well that's a so, shame. So short of having uh, <laughs> Kathy Bates, I guess we're going to have to go to the drawing board and find somebody who's willing to. Well, I hope. And I mean, and unfortunately, we can't we can't pay anything than high fives and fist bumps. So. Well, I think, like I said, I think whoever you do get, like as long as they don't try and imitate Kathy Bates, just try and take it their own way and have. Kathy Bates is clearly having fun when I watch that movie. I think that's what your actress needs to do. Just clearly have fun. And, uh, I, and, I, and I, I think, are, are, have you been preparing your audition for Paul Sheldon? Are you ready to make your star turn as I have Paul not. Sheldon? I didn't. I I have not. I mean, I'll audition for shits and giggles. Maybe I can be the sheriff. He's not in it that much. 
I think we're <laughs> planning on yanking that chair up across the stage too. So we might need somebody like the, oh. who's a little lighter to go flying across the stage. You said yank. I just thought of like the old school like canes pulling. Oh people. yeah, yeah. <laughs> Maybe not quite that dramatic, but. I don't know. I'll try out just to say yeah. I did. I think you should come and audition specifically for the sheriff. Like, you know, when wear, and where. wear a hat, wear the, wear the badge. I wear the fake badge. I put yeah. the, should I get the white mustache? Cause that dude in the film's old. No, I think you should come like with your beard, just the way it is. I think that would be the right look for a, uh, a new, where, where, where is it? Uh, is it in somewhere in Maine? I well, I believe. I want to say the novel actually takes place in Sidewinder, Colorado, which is like a, I think that's a fake place. That's a place oh, right, you just right, kind of, right. that's a place in the Stephen King universe, uh, Sidewinder, Colorado. Uh, but I forget where the actual movie takes place. I want to, I almost want to say the movie takes place like. I think it's one of the rare ones that actually isn't in Maine. Yeah. I think I want to say like, it, I almost want to say it takes place like in Wisconsin or something. Yeah. I wherever they get, that. wherever they get a lot of snowfall. Yeah. So, all right. So you'll you'll be ready for your audition, and uh, I will be ready to fail miserably. I won't yeah. take offense when I'm not choosing. But <laughs> I, I, you might be the only one that shows up auditioning just for the sheriff. So maybe your odds will be good. Maybe, yeah. <laughs> might push in, might push in a no sheriff for yeah. this guy situation. Yeah. yeah, I can live with that. <laughs> so, all right, man. Well, that about wraps it up here at the Marvel of Horror. I want to thank Gene Zelak for coming by. Thanks for Catches, having me. Oh, no problem. And uh, keep us posted that this uh, fall, right? Yep, October. Yeah, October. Middle, middle two weekends of October. Follow us at the Marvel of Horror podcast on YouTube and check us out on Spotify. And we will see you next time. Thanks for joining us, my friends.